Hello, happy Mother's Day, Elevation. My name is Kristen. I'm a part of the teaching team here at Elevation, and I'm excited today to celebrate with you and to share with you a little bit about Julian of Norwich. I am certainly grateful today for Noel and Nathan, my 12 and 8-year-olds who have made me a mother, and I'm also thankful for the third child that I carried but lost. Like so many of you, I never got to hold one of my babies in my arms, but I held her in my womb and in my heart, and she will forever be a part of my identity as a mother. I'm grateful too today for my own mother, Helen, whose name means light, and whose presence is a light for those of us who call her wife, sister, mother, friend, and mom. I love you, mom. While many of us have had the blessing of wonderful mothers, I want to take a moment to recognize that Mother's Day can be a tricky time for some of us too. Perhaps we long to be mothers and have never had the opportunity, or perhaps our own mothers have disappointed us or hurt us, have abandoned us, or been taken from us too soon. In all these cases, I invite us today to reflect on God's love as it manifests itself in a mother's love. The Bible reveals to us God as Father, but also God as Mother. There are many instances in the Bible where God and Jesus reveal themselves through the imagery of a mother's love. In Isaiah, God describes himself as a mother teaching her child to walk, cuddling, and feeding her child. God says, as a mother comforts her child, so I comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Jesus also refers to himself as a mother hen who longs to bring Jerusalem underneath her wings and comfort Jerusalem. Today we kick off a series called At the Feet of Our Spiritual Mothers in honor of Mother's Day and also in honor of the women in history who have shaped the great tides of Christian theology and practice and have revealed to us a deep wisdom about God and his love for us. We begin today by learning about Julian of Norwich. Who was she? What did she do that was so influential in Christianity? And what can we learn from her today? So let's find out. First of all, Julian of Norwich lived from 1342 to 1416. And if you're having a hard time imagining that period in history, um, you can maybe recall in one of your English classes, if you've ever had to read the Canterbury Tales by Chaucer, that was the period in time when Ju Julian lived. She was a contemporary of Chaucer. She wrote the earliest, earliest surviving book written in English by a woman. And that book, which has been called Revelations, or she called Revelations of Divine Love, is widely acknowledged as one of the great classics of spiritual life. Julian is what we would call an anchoress, which derives from the word anchorite. An anchorite, or an anchoress, was a person who sequestered themselves to devote their life to God. So this tradition was rooted in the 4th century desert fathers and mothers, people who retreated from the city to live alone in poverty and austerity in order to nurture a deep connection with God. So Julian of Norwich dedicated her life as an anchoress, and she was considered dead to the world and entombed with Christ. She was led into a little room called an anchor hold, read her last rites by the priest, had ash sprinkled over her, the door was closed, and Julian lived in that room for 40 years and did not leave that room until her body um, at her death was carried back across the threshold. The little room that Julian would have lived in was, uh, was called an anchor hold. 
So an anchor hold was a small room adjacent to or connected to the village church. In this case, the village church was called St. Julian of Norwich. We don't actually know what Julian's real name was. We believe she just took the name of the church. But in this room that was attached uh, to the church building, she would have had two windows. One window opened into the chapel where she could participate in daily mass and take Holy Communion. The other window would have opened up either to the outside or to a parlor where people could come and seek counsel from her and guidance. She would have been like a spiritual director. And we know that people did come and get guidance and direction from Julian because Margaret of Akempe, who was also a, a spiritual mother in the Christian faith, wrote about coming to Julian and getting guidance from her. Finally, there would have been a door in the anchor hold that led into another separate little room that led to the outside. And in that room, a, a servant stayed who would have taken care of Julian's real world needs, her cooking, her cleaning, taking out and emptying the chamber pot, shopping for her, those sorts of things. So while Julian was definitely confined to this little space, she wasn't totally secluded from the world around her. She knew what was happening beyond her doors. And that's important to remember as we learn more about Julian and her unique theology. If you know anything about Julian of Norwich, you probably know this quote. She is most famous for writing that God revealed to her in a vision that all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of thing shall be well. This quote is really at the heart of Julian's theology, which was remarkably optimistic for its time. When she was 30 years old, God gave Julian 16 divine revelations that she called showings. And at the center of all these showings was the theme of love. There was a consistent anchor to all of these revelations, and it was God's everlasting and ever-present love for his creation and his children. She writes, Know it well. Love was his meaning. Who reveals it to you? Love. What did he reveal to you? Love. Why does he reveal it to you? Love. Remain in this, and you will know more of the same. For Julian, Christ's passion and crucifixion that we just have celebrated a few weeks ago at Easter was the supreme manifestation of God's love. One of Julian's revelations of God's love came in the metaphor of a hazelnut. She writes in her book, And God showed me a little thing in the palm of his hand, in the palm of my hand, round like a ball, no bigger than a hazelnut. I gazed at it, puzzling at what it might be. And God said to me, it is all of creation. I was amazed that it could last and did not suddenly disintegrate and fall into nothingness, for it was so tiny. And again, God spoke to me. It lasts both now and forevermore because I cherish it. And I understood that everything has its being owing to God's care and love. What a beautiful image. This image that we exist and all of creation exists because God has focused his attention on us and holds us together with his love. This echoes the words of Paul in Colossians 1.17 when he writes, Jesus existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. 
the past couple of weeks, Nathan and I have been doing devotions together called Indescribable, a seven-day journey about God and science. And you can find it too on the app YouVersion Bible, YouVersion, Y-O-U version. It's a great app with lots of different devotionals for families, kids, singles, uh, married couples. So we've been reading this devotional for kids, learning about how science reveals the truth of God. And his creation. So we learned this week that our bodies are made up of 37.2 trillion cells. And each one of those cells is held together by kind of glue, just the way that bricks are held together with mortar. And that glue is called laminin. Now, I don't know if I'm saying that right. My apologies to the scientists in the room. Um, but when you look at laminin under an electronic microscope, you'll see that it looks like a cross. And the devotional remarks on what a wonderful reminder uh, that laminin is, that we are God's creation, and that through his unimaginable sacrifice of love on the cross, he holds our very selves together, our bodies, our souls, our relationships, everything in the created order. So the first lesson we learn from Julian of Norwich is that all will be well because God's love holds us and all of existence together. But really, I couldn't help but wonder as I read Julian of Norwich's revelations, how can everything be well? I mean, I can understand how God could take mistakes or mishaps or accidents and weave them together for good. But what about the things in our world that are so dark and so broken that they feel evil and completely devoid of redemption? How can all be well in that? I thought maybe Julian was being a little naive here. But as it turns out, she also questioned the optimism of this revelation that God had given her. You see, Julian lived through one of the darkest moments in human history. She saw plagues, revolt, and war. It was during Julian's lifetime that the single most fatal pandemic that the world has ever seen in all of human history reached her front door, the Black Plague. The Black Plague spread from the northern part of Africa all the way up through Europe and into England. If left untreated, 80% of people who contracted the Black Plague would die within eight days. Now, it's not quite as severe as COVID, but we know a thing or two about pandemics right now, don't we? The Black Plague killed half of the population of Norwich, and Norwich was the second most important city in England after London. So this wasn't a rural town. This was a bustling city with, uh, with agriculture and economy, and it, half the population was killed off by the Black Plague. Something else interesting that I learned this week was that the practice of social distancing as a way of managing a pandemic actually began in the 1300s with the Black Plague, this was a method that physicians came up with to try and manage the pandemic, and we are still using it today while we try to get vaccines and build up immunity and manage this, this crisis. So after the Black Plague swept through and, and decimated half the population of Norwich and most of England, the peasant revolt rose up. So 
economy was deeply um, disrupted by the plague. People were starving. They didn't have enough work. And so they began to revolt. Also, in response to the elevated taxes that the royalty were putting on the commoners, because of this intractable hundred-year war that England was engaged in with France. So in summary, this was a great this was a time of great tumult in human history, and Julian saw it all happening just beyond the windows of her anchor hold. A biographer about Julian's life writes that for Julian, living in a plague-infested, war-torn, suffering society rife with illness, death, and descent, this statement from God that all shall be well didn't make any sense at all. And so she questioned God about this revelation. She pushed back and asked for a concrete answer that could be applied to practical everyday life. This was the answer God gave her, and she writes about it in Revelations of Divine Love. She writes, Now there are many acts committed that to us seem so evil and so harmful that we despair of any good resulting from them. While we are in sorrow and mourning concerning these, we cannot relax in God's exalted and wondrous wisdom. For our reason is now so blinded, weak and ignorant, that we cannot see the Trinity's strength and goodness. So God tells us, you will yourself behold that all will be well. It is though he were telling us, take it now in faith and trust, and in the end you will see truly and in fullness and joy. The Trinity will accomplish an action on the last day. What it will be and how it will be accomplished, no creature lower than Christ knows. And so it shall remain veiled until the act is accomplished. And he wishes us to know this so that our spirits might be surrendered peacefully into his love. And we might then ignore every disturbance which thwarts our true rejoicing in God. In this response, God asked Julian to make peace with the deep truth that sometimes we won't have a concrete answer from God in our lifetime. This is the second lesson we learn from Julian of Norwich, that sometimes God's promises and proclamations require faith and trust rather than rational understanding. What are we having faith in? What are we trusting in? That God's goodness and love is stronger than any destruction or despair we might face in this life. In writing these words, Julian captures a deep wisdom that those who have truly suffered in faith have carved out, carved out for decades and centuries before us. It's a deep wisdom we might do well to embrace in these uncertain times. The Israelites show us in the Old Testament how to practice this kind of faith and optimism during uncertainty. In Psalms 136, which was our scripture reading for today, the psalmist reminds us to do three things when the world around us seems out of control. The first is to remember who God is. If you look at Psalms 136, it begins by stating the character of God. God is good. He is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. He is above everything. The second thing the psalmist remind us to do is to remember what God has done for us in the past. So as you read through Psalms 136, the next thing the psalmist begin to recount is all the ways God has been faithful to Israel. He divided the Red Sea. He brought Israel through the midst of it. He swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. He led his people through the desert. Duane and I have a saying that we say to one another when things seem uncertain, and it's this, 
Nothing is arbitrary with God. Nothing is arbitrary with God. The simple little statement is something we have learned over our 17 years of marriage and times in the past when we have felt uncertain or out of control or wondered how any good would come out of our circumstances. We've then been able to look back and see how God has been faithful in each and every moment. And we've learned over the years that God is able to take every experience every action, every mistake, every joy, and work it together for a foundation of good for His kingdom and His glory. And so when things begin to feel uncertain to us now, we look at each other and we say, nothing is arbitrary with God. And it's a way of reminding each other of the ways that God has been faithful to us in the past. The final thing that the psalmists remind us to do, encourage us to do, is to remember that God's love never changes. Every other line in that psalm, the psalmist sings, His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Paul writes in Romans 8, 38-39, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No matter, no power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's your homework for this week. Uh, Whether you're a writer or not, just try it. Take Psalms 136 and use it as your template to write your own psalms, remembering who God is and how he's been faithful for you in the past. On every other line, write, his love endures forever. And then in between those lines, write first about who God is to you. And then write about what God has done for you, how he's been faithful to you in the past. And if you would like to share these, and I hope you do, you can send them to info at water, um, Elevation Waterloo, info at Elevation Waterloo, and we will share them together on our website as a way of testifying, a test of giving testimony to one another, reminding each other of who God is and how he has been faithful to us. The final lesson we learn from Julian of Norwich is that God's love makes us overcomers. It's not just a warm, fuzzy love that shields and protects us. No, God's love is a love that empowers us. It can be ferocious. It can be a love that fights for us, like the love of a mama bear. God says in Hosea that he has a mother's love that is furiously protective of her children. God says, like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will attack them and tear them asunder. This is a powerful love that makes us stronger than we think we can be, that transforms us into overcomers. God's love does not coddle us. God's love calls us to something greater than ourselves. Julian writes in the conclusion of her book these final thoughts, that though we will see and experience much suffering in this world, by God's love we will overcome. She writes, Thou shalt not be overcome, was said full clearly and full mightily, for assuredness and comfort against all tribulations that may come. God said not, thou shalt not be tempted, thou shalt not be travailed, thou shalt not be afflicted. No. God said, thou shalt not be overcome. For God loveth and enjoyeth us, enjoyeth us, 
And so willeth he that we love and enjoy him and mightily trust in him, and all shall be well. What do we learn from Julian today? A woman who in her own time witnessed the worst pandemic in human history, war, illness, and death. We learn, one, that all will be well because we are held together by God's love. Two, we learn that we can trust God's promises by faith because his love and goodness are stronger than any evil that we may face in this world. Three, we learn that God's love is not a puny, weak, feel-good thing, but a powerful force that calls us to be overcomers in the face of chaos and destruction. I'm going to end today by praying, but I want to remind you that you have a chance to jump into our Google Hangouts after this and answer the discussion questions and share with your neighbors group. If you're a part of a neighbors group, you will have received the link to that. So go ahead and click on that and you can get in the discussion groups and answer questions and share with one another. If you are, however, joining us and not a part of a neighbors group, we would still love for you to connect to our community and discuss with us. So you'll see a link in the comments that you can click on that will take you to a Google Hangout where you can join the discussion and share. Let's pray. Father God, Mother God, thank you for the beautiful truths we learn about you from Julian of Norwich today. Thank you, Lord, that your love holds us together, that it is more powerful than anything that we may face in this life, and that it gives us the strength and the courage to be overcomers. We love you, Jesus. We pray that you will go with us this week, that your love would be close and near in tangible ways to each one of us. In your name, amen.